Tonight we'll read from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Looking at the first, first chapter, 2 Timothy 1, beginning at verse number 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Paul is writing this letter from a jail cell. This time he's in Rome, we understand. And really, it's essentially his farewell. He's at the end of his apostleship, we might say, in the flesh, we first understand that Timotheus, as he's first mentioned in the scripture in Acts chapter 16, that he was a disciple. Now we think that Timothy was probably 15 years younger than Paul, but we find if you search in your Bible, the first time his name is used, it's in Acts 16 verse 1, that's Timotheus. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. He's immediately referred to as a disciple, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. And what's happening at this place in Scripture is Paul and Silas are on, the, on a missionary journey. They're spreading the gospel, and they see Timothy. It may have been the second time that they run into him. We're not exactly sure, but at this point, they asked Timothy to join them in their missionary work and spreading the gospel. They were at a place called Lystra, which, if you search in your Bible, is written of six times. And often, it's Lystra and Iconium. And so, in this area, the scripture says in Acts that Timothy, he had a good report he had a good testimony. In fact, he had a good reputation, the Bible says. Now, we understand that, that Timothy, the focus of his ministry, was in a place called Ephesus. The Apostle Paul had started the church at Ephesus. We know of the letter to the Ephesians. But it appears that Timothy was appointed as essentially the church leader or the pastor. Now, at this portion of Scripture, Paul's second letter to Timothy, no doubt the Apostle Paul felt that he was facing his final hours. In many regards, you could say he had been abandoned or he had been deserted. He was in a jail cell again. And he's asking Timothy to come visit him or come join him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of this letter, verse 13, he says, the cloak that I left at Troas, which was another place with Carpus, um, when thou comest, he says, bring the books, but especially the parchment. So he gives Timothy some instructions on what to bring back with him when he comes to visit him. And from what we understand, as this was the last words of Paul, 
he tells Timothy that I'm praying for you. He tells Timothy that I want your success in the gospel. He probably had a very close friendship with Timothy. Uh, they probably had many experiences together, spreading the gospel as friends, as brothers in Christ. And we find that Paul had a mind to continually pray for Timothy. And in verse 3, previous to our text, he says, I thank God who I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. He says, Timothy, I pray for you without ceasing. I pray for you night and day. Paul is saying, I wake up in the middle of the night with a burden to pray for you. Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and you feel an inclination to pray? Sometimes when that happens, I think it's so much easier just to lay in bed and pray. And not very much longer, you're fast asleep and you start to negotiate the idea of getting on your knees. I mean, it's the middle of the night. But I believe that the Lord wants to have a connection with you and me where he can count on you and me in the middle of the night to pray. And that's what Paul, in part, is speaking to here. He does it without ceasing, night and day. Yes, it's easier to roll over, but we want to be available for God to pray, I believe. We want to have our hearts in a place where when the Lord calls on us to pray, he can count on you and he can count on me. We want to be available for the Lord. Somebody is counting on your prayers and my prayers. And you can see that the Apostle Paul was, was, was telling Timothy, you can count on my prayers. Somebody needs a miracle. Somebody in some place might need your prayers tonight. The psalmist said, at midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous righteous judgments. We have every reason to praise and to thank the Lord night and day. As Paul is writing about here to Timothy, the psalmist in 119, Psalm 119, 148 says, Mine eyes prevent the night watches. And if you look at the original, it means I wake up early in a part of the night. He gets specific here, that I might meditate in thy word. And God, in a special way, visits us in the night when we pray and will give us something to pray for. And sometimes we don't even know exactly what the need is, but God puts it on our heart to pray and we want to pray. So Paul said he prays for Timothy. He goes on to write in verse 4, again in the first chapter, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. He wants to see Timothy just one last time. Greatly desiring to see thee. But he goes on to say, I'm mindful of thy tears. Paul has this deep sense of empathy for what Timothy is dealing with for the, the, the battle that he's having in the gospel, what he was facing, what he was struggling with. We have a spiritual battle. All of us do. The scripture talks about us and we want to pray for one another. We want to be there for one another. We want to be uh, praying for each and other as we fight the enemy who wants to destroy our walk in the Lord. As Christians, we need to band together, I believe. In fact, when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, bear ye one another's burdens. And what really stuck out to me in this passage, it says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
So he says, when we bear one another's burdens, when we, and, and if you look at that word bear, it means to take up, to endure, to lift up, or to carry. And so he's speaking of a load. And when we all carry the load, we help our brother and sister in Christ. So the load is not so heavy because we're helping in bearing that burden. He goes on to say, as I read, and so fulfill the law of Christ or the law of love. That's pretty broad. But it's a promise from God's word. In verse 5, we know the familiar portion of scripture where Paul reminds Timothy of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and how they brought him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then in verse 6, we find, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. And we know this phrase stir up means to rekindle. Or to renew, we could say to revive, a stirring up. I liked how John Wesley puts it this way. He says, and I quote, literally, blowing up the coals into a flame. So there's embers there in a spiritual sense. There's some coals there that are hot. But obviously when, when you put a wind or you blow on it, you get it to a point where there's a flame. And we want more than just a flame. We want a burning fire in our hearts and in our souls. Now, no doubt the Apostle Paul is referring to Timothy receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we find another reference to this gift in Paul's first letter, 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. He says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So Paul, no doubt, is referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he possibly is referring to gifts of the Holy Ghost that Timothy had received. And maybe you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And you have received your baptism and the Lord has done that work for you and you receive power from on high. Or maybe tonight you're saved. You haven't been sanctified yet. Or maybe you're sanctified and maybe it was recent that you were saved or many years ago. But I believe that this challenge of being stirred up can be for you and me tonight no matter where we may be spiritually. No matter where we are with the Lord... We're nearing a cornerstone, a special time that we call camp meeting. I want to be stirred. I want to be revived. I would like to be renewed. And I believe with the Lord's help, we would all like to be revived. We would all like to be renewed. We would all like to be stirred up. We want a renewing of our hearts and of our minds and of our spirits and of our souls. We want to be rekindled. We want to be revived with power from on high. I thought of five quick basic steps that we individually can take to be what Paul refers to here as stirred up. And the first one is inspect your heart. Or a lot of times we put it this way, search your heart. Is there anything that God is speaking to you or speaking to me about that we need to take care of? It gets very personal. Is there anything in our heart that's crept in unawares over the last week or month or day or year or since the last camp meeting that should not be there? That God would reveal that some searching, some inspecting of our hearts that we want to do. It's the so-called secret places of our hearts. 
Or is it even to the extent that we need forgiveness and restoration? We want to be stirred up. We want to start by searching or inspecting our hearts. And in so doing, we might need to make something right with a brother or sister. We don't want to have anything that would hinder the stirring or the moving of the Spirit of God. So number one, we want to inspect our hearts. Number two, we want to check our phones. What do I mean by that? You know, many times we need to take deliberate steps to allow God to stir us up. We want to do our part. On Sunday mornings, there's a setting on my phone that I didn't set it, that it gives me a automatic message of my screen time for the week. And it's usually about the time we pull in for Sunday school. And it's nice encouragement, word of encouragement from my phone. You spent this many uh, hours and minutes per day on your phone. You're up 20% this week. But I do wonder, how does it compare to my time or our time with the Lord? And we can add up times of being in church, devotions at home, times of thinking and talking about the things of God. But if we want to be stirred up, we want to compare some of these things. And maybe it's, and it should be just between you and the Lord. But we want to check our phones. How does our social media footprint look? Are you texting things that would hinder you from being stirred up? Are you going to websites that would hinder you from being stirred up? We want to check our phones. Number two, a deliberate step that we can take is to check our phones. Number three, a deliberate step we can take is to pray more. We want to get anywhere with the Lord. It's only going to come by prayer. We do position our lives and our hearts. The Lord's speaking to us. We're searching our hearts. We need to take care of something. We need to apologize. We need to make something right. And that's deliberate steps we take to receive from the Lord. But then we're going to need to spend some more time in prayer. If we truly want a stirring and a renewing, we want to spend more time in prayer. And of course, it's not about quantity. It's about quality time with the Lord. And the Lord will help us to do that. But sometimes with devotions, I remember being taught that if you need to set in a certain amount of time and keep notes between you and the Lord that you spent your time, do that. At church, it takes deliberate action to arrive at the prayer room. It just doesn't happen. You have to take steps and you arrive at the prayer room. It takes deliberate action to spend time and be a part of the altar service. It does. It takes some need time. It, t- it takes some energy. It Sometimes it, it might be draining, but in order to be stirred up, to be renewed, to be revived, these are the things that's happened and worked for generation after generation. All the way back in the times of the disciples, they tarried in prayer to receive power from on high. It's the same tonight. We want to be stirred up. We want to be revived. We want to tarry in prayer. Number three, we want to pray for, pray more rather. And number four, we want to encourage others, our friends and our peers to join in the effort of being stirred up. We're talking about positive prayer pressure. Find someone and, and, and text them an encouraging note. Pray for me. I want to be stirred. Pray for me. I want to be revived. 
It's okay to tell a friend that I can't go out right after church because I'm going to be around the altars of prayer. I'm going to be time spending. Uh, I want to spend more time with the Lord. I want to be restored. I want to be revived. I want to be rekindled. When a group gets hungry and when a group of young people, a group of all ages gets hungry together, you begin to feed off each other. You can begin to encourage each other. You begin to pray more. You begin to receive the Lord. And pretty soon that fire comes, that stirring, that troubling of the waters that we want to have. And, and when a group does that, God will move heaven and earth on behalf of that group. So number four, we want to be an encouragement to others to join in this effort of being stirred up. And number five, we want to spend time praising and thanking God. The psalmist said, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. So you want to have your heart in a place in which in its entirety it can praise the Lord because the searching has happened. The blood of Jesus has been applied. You have been saved. You have been sanctified. And so you have a heart that you can say, with my whole heart, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Psalm thirty-five, eighteen said, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation, I will praise thee among much people. We want to praise and thank the Lord around the altars of prayer. And we do that in song when we sing. But the praises of God brings the glory of God down. Psalm 104 says, enter his courts, or excuse me, his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Again, we've positioned our hearts, we've positioned our lives in a place to be stirred. And when the praise comes from a heart that's as such, God will bless. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. The way to be stirred that happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, it works tonight. So we want to inspect our hearts. We want to check our phones. We want to take deliberate steps to pray more. We want to encourage others and we want to thank and praise the Lord and we believe the blessing will come. What do you need from the Lord tonight? The Lord will help you and me to take these steps. We want to be an encouragement to each other. We want to pray for one another and we want to receive of the Lord. We believe God will answer his word. He's done his part. We want to do our part. The song is 657. Let's come forward and pray.